0: Hello and uh, welcome to our Learn to Read the Bible Effectively seminar series. Uh, We're so glad that uh, you've wanted to tune in and uh, share this time with us uh, around God's Word. Uh, Perhaps you're here because you've read the Bible for many, many years and you want to uh, learn and share a little bit more of what you've read. Uh, Perhaps you're here because you've always wanted to read the Bible, uh, but you found it uh, difficult and maybe even sometimes frustrating uh, to read uh, maybe you're here just out of interest because you've never read the Bible and don't necessarily have an interest to, but you've always thought it's something you'd want to look into. Whatever your reason uh, for being here, we're we're very glad that you're uh, wanting to, to take some time and uh, consider God's Word. Uh, this is week one. Uh, it is a six-week series, and uh, we will um, work through these six weeks and, and cover a workbook that is provided. Um, I can. I will make it available uh, for you to uh, have the, the, the workbook, which you might want to download, stop now and go find it and follow through as, as you're listening or get it afterwards. Um, also, there's a, a homework sheet, totally optional, but a chance to put into practice some of the things that we're going to um, look at today. Um, and uh, and also these slides I will make available. So definitely would recommend you having your Bible uh, so you can actually uh, see it for yourself uh, if it's a, a hard copy version or whether uh, it's on a device. Um, and uh, maybe a pen and a uh, pencil and some some note paper. Uh, But however you want to follow along, um, let's get started. We have uh, three sections uh, to look at uh, in this first session. The first being the background of the bible uh, this is a, a really important book it's a big book as we'll see um, and getting some sort of idea of, of the big picture is what our goal is in this first section <clears throat> now we'll begin with a, a little introductory uh, tip where we're looking at uh, ways and means of reading the bible more effectively and this is one that we will probably come back to if not every single section certainly uh, every single week. And that is the idea of, of listening for an echo. In this case, a Bible echo. You know, we know what an echo is. It's like we we hear a sound that's reverberated and we hear it coming back at us. So really the idea here is, you know, we ask ourselves, well, where have I heard this before? So we're, we're somewhere in the scriptures and we're reading and it's like, this this sounds familiar. It's, it's like an echo. Um, you know, what does this remind me of? It might be a reading in the life of Jesus and it reminds you of another character in the Old Testament. Uh, it might be something that Paul says in one of his epistles. And you're thinking, um, he's he's getting that from somewhere. I've heard someone else say this, maybe in the Gospels or in an Old Testament uh, character. So this idea of listening for an echo. And uh, we're going to begin it with this, just this, begin this idea, plant this seed in your mind of, of listening for echoes. From this example, when the Pharisees and Herodians came to Jesus and they were trying to actually catch uh, catch him in his words, they they wanted to arrest him. Uh, And and if, if you want to look it up, you can. It's here also on the screen. Mark 12, verse 14, they say, teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Now, this is just buttering Jesus up. They didn't actually really believe this. They were uh, being deceptive in their their language, but they're trying to catch him off guard and kind of, you know, smooth smooth things over, as it were, before they asked their tricky question. They said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? Now, it's important when you're reading the Bible, uh, and if we were live and in person here, I would be asking the audience, uh, why did they think this was a trick question? What what were they thinking to catch him out on? What were they hoping uh, for him to say so that they could arrest him? It says to catch him in his words. So just think about that for a moment. What? Why is this a, a tricky question? I mean, I guess there's there's only two answers. He could have said, yes, pay your taxes. Or he could have said, no, don't pay your taxes. What do you think the implications of of either of those choices would have been? Well, let's take the negative first. He said, no, no, don't, don't pay your taxes. What would the Herodians and the Pharisees have done? Well, you can imagine them running off to the authorities, the Roman authorities, and say, this, this uh, rebel rabbi preacher out there, he's telling people not to pay taxes, go and arrest him. That one's pretty obvious. They were maybe hoping that he would you know, get caught up in the enthusiasm and the, the national pride of the day and say, no, 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 don't pay taxes, because he wanted to be popular with the people, perhaps and they would have gotten in trouble with the romans but what if he had said yes we should pay taxes and just left it at that what were they hoping to 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 gain from that well obviously they could then turn to the people and say this is your rabbi this is your you know jewish rabbi that you want to follow he's 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 in league with the romans you know you don't want to follow him and and get some unrest maybe stirred up and eventually lead to to his downfall, either in the eyes of the people or in the eyes of the authorities, the Roman authorities, or perhaps both. Well, it says quite clearly that Jesus knew their hypocrisy; they couldn't fool him in their in their tricky in their trickiness, in their deceptiveness. Um, so he said to them, "Why do you test me?" He he calls them right out. He says, "Look, I know this isn't an honest question, but I'm going to give you an answer anyway." Bring me a, a denarius that I may see it. This was uh, some of your virgins may say a penny. Uh, it was the the smallest coin there in the uh, of Roman times. I remember a lot of uh, Jesus's parables were about uh, you know workers that worked for a penny a day. Um, so he says, bring me, bring me a denarius that I may see it. And here's a here's an example of one. Um, they they have been found and the states from the time of Jesus. The picture of this one here. So they brought him. Uh they brought him one. And uh he said to them, So, whose is this image and in, in uh, inscription on the coin? Whose whose picture is this? Whose image is it on the on the coin? Uh, you can see I've got some highlighting here. It was all about should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus, the the, the echo here, and I wonder if you caught it, is this word image? You're saying to yourself, Wow, is there somewhere else in the Bible that talks about an image or a likeness? Well. He goes on, he goes on to say, oh, skip this one over here. Uh, they said to him, of course, Caesars. Um, they, they said to him, it's it's Caesars image and inscription, which he obviously knew, but he wanted them to, to, to articulate. Whose is this image and superscript? They said, so it's Caesar." So he said, you've been asking about taxes to Caesar. You got this coin here and it's got Caesars picture on it. So he said to them, Well, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, he doesn't give them a straight yes or no answer, but he does say, Yes, you know, you should pay your taxes. It's as if he's saying, Well, you know, it's it's this the coin belongs to Caesar. If he wants it back, I guess you got to give it to him. That's that's a good way of saying yes, you know, pay your taxes. But then he adds this other bit to God the things that are God. You should render to God the things that are God's. Well, What's what's God's? What, what, what was, what's he saying there? What has this got anything to do with images and likeness and superscription? Well, here's where the echo comes in. Have I heard this before? And if you have read your Bible, you've probably read uh, Genesis chapter one. If you're one of those people likes to start a book at the beginning, which is a good place to start, highly recommend you reading through Genesis. In fact, that's maybe a little challenge you can take is uh, try and get through Genesis over the course of the the six weeks that we're we're having the seminar. It says they marvelled at him, of course, because it didn't work out quite the way they'd planned. There's nothing that he said that could uh, they could take to the authorities because he had said, yes, pay taxes. And they really couldn't take it to the people because he'd also said, render to God the things that are God's. But here's the here's the echo. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And, and so we, people, you and I, are made in God's image. And that was the exact point Jesus was trying to get them to connect, to hear the echo. This coin here, it's got Caesar's picture on it. Give it back to him if he wants it. You, when you look in the mirror, when you see yourself, you're made in God's image. Render to God the things that are God's. Give your life to God. Give back to God his due. And I think that's very powerful for us. So Jesus's full message is not merely to pay your taxes, which you know as christians we should be obedient to the the laws of the land and pay our taxes um you know unless they contravene uh the the the, the commands of god because we serve god first um but that that's not really his point his, his point is so much deeper we also belong to god we're in his image and likeness and we should render to him his due by reflecting his image and character correctly do do people see God? Do people see a likeness of uh, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our lives, in the things that we do? That's the real message, the real power of Jesus' answer to this question about images and likenesses on coins. So just a little interesting um, starting tip for you. When you're reading your Bible, listen for those echoes. It it often will bring out um, so much deeper and more significant meaning than you get at you know, maybe fa- a face value reading of the scriptures. So very quickly then, what, what do we make of, of uh, this, this background of the Holy Bible? Well, the word holy uh, in English means separate or special or unique. The word Bible is just a Latin word meaning uh, a book. And so what we have is the Holy Bible is really a special or separate book. It's There's something unique about this book. Um, and that's what we mean when we say the Holy Bible. Of course, it's come to mean you know, the scriptures uh, that we've come to know, these 66 books of the Bible. And it really is a library of books. It's not a single book. There's about, there are 66 books. There's about 40 different authors and a span of 1,500 years over which this this library of books is written. Um, It's written in three different languages, Greek and Hebrew primarily, a little bit of Aramaic, Aramaic in the Old Testament as well. Different social classes, Of authors and of of audience you know from from kings to to shepherds to to farmers and everything in between uh it's written from three different continents um there's i don't i didn't count these up so i'm taking someone else's word for it i would say there's over 2900 different characters mentioned in the bible over uh, 1500 places there's different literary forms there's prose there's poetry there's songs uh there's lamentations there's personal letters that Paul writes to different people. And yet, in through all this, we see a consistent message. So when we're looking at the Bible and trying to learn it to read it effectively, some of this background information uh, will help us to kind of put those pieces together and understand uh, the big picture, if you will. Now, Scripture is clear that God is the author, although we said there is uh, was uh, what do we say over here? Um, about 40 different authors that's the, the the human beings the the men who wrote um, but we believe that the scriptures clearly indicate that God is the actual author and you've got this passage here this is a good one to make a note of uh, perhaps in the back of your Bible if you keep um, you know a list of important pers- uh, passages this would be one 2nd Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of God it's profitable for doctrine for reproof uh, for correction for instruction in righteousness That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this word, um, well, three words in our English translation here, inspiration of God, is one Greek word. You can see it there. It's theo, which is the Greek word for God, and neustos, which is the um, Greek word for, for breath, um, you know, we see pneumatics today—air, uh, air, air um, tools that are are operated by by air pressure and and uh, um, run by air. Um, that's all we've got here. So it's really saying here: all scripture is God breathed. And you think about that—the way God works in, the, in Genesis. And God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And God said, th- "This is how God works." And so, basically, God spoke. Uh, the, the men who were inspired by God to write heard those words from God and recorded them, maybe more like a, a scribe or a dictator, not dictator, dictation taker. Um, and uh, that that's how it worked. So really, these words are, are God's words. Um, they're spoken by him. Uh, similarly here in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, it says that the, the prophecy of scripture wasn't by any private interpretation. It wasn't just Paul's ideas or, well, that's what David wrote about in the Psalms. Uh, it, it wasn't like that. Uh, sure, their own characteristic and uh, characteristics and personalities may come through in the letter, but it's actually God's words. Um, it says prophecy didn't come by the, the will of men. And that's not just prophecy in the sense of like foretelling the future, but all words spoken. That's the idea here. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, or carried along, born along, it it was God breathing through them, it was God speaking through them. You know, how, many, how many times did, like Moses say, and the Lord said unto the people, or, you know, the, the, in, the, in the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, God is speaking to you, the Lord said this, and, you know, even Jesus himself said, the words that I speak aren't mine, I, it's what I've received from the Father, and that's how we understand. So, when we have our bible then and, and we're reading it that we're actually reading god's words spoken to us and of course and that makes a study of god's word very important we, we read there that it's can make us wise and salvation it, it can give us hope in romans 15 4 there uh, romans 1 clearly says it's the power of god unto salvation um on, on the negative side if we if we and don't listen to the instruction manual, as it were. This is God created us and he, and he formed us. And this is his words to us. It's like an instruction manual. We neglect it at our peril. It's able to give us an answer to, to those who ask us a question, to to convent, contend for the faith. And it provides direction for daily living. Um, and so, again, we went through that quickly. I suggest you, you find those passages and, and look them up. Uh, but basically, our, our final, in, in this in this opening section here, our final point really is to read the Bible, to believe what you find, not find what you believe. We can't have preconceived ideas. It, it's a big book. If, if you have some idea, you can probably find some verse taken out of context that will fit what you believe. That's not what we want to do. We want to read it in its entirety. We want to make sure it all fits together like a, a beautiful jigs- jigsaw puzzle. And we'll believe whatever we find there you know there's a saying that says um if it's not in the word it's not of the lord and so we need to find what we uh what we uh see we need to study it and and understand it and if it's written there and we read it and it's clear that's what we believe and uh, that's a good a good way to open our our session on learning to read the bible more effectively not coming with preconceived ideas or or sort of forcing our interpretation on Scripture. If that's not what we want to do, we want to believe what it is that we read there. Uh, our next uh, next section, as we move into the section two, the Bible interprets itself, is, is to give you some encouragement, because what we'll see in our last section, it, it's not easy always to understand the Bible. In fact, it's uh, designed that way. But this is a good, uh, in this first week, we really just want to lay some some foundations, uh, lay some some background and, and get a good solid uh, basis on which we can move forward. And so this is really important. The, the answers, the questions that you might have about what the Bible teaches are answered in the Bible. So, yes, there'll be a little bit of frustration. And you might read something like, whoa, what's what's that even mean? How does it relate to me? Um, but we just have to keep reading. And uh, the famous saying, you know, when all else fails, well, it's time to read the instructions. And maybe not for the first time. So, when all else fails, read the instructions. This is God's instruction manual. Um, the answers are in there. And we might be in one section and it seems unclear. And we maybe need to turn back to another one, or maybe we're early on in our reading, and we just haven't gotten to the part where it's it's explained. So be patient. Uh, keep reading, don't get frustrated. Um, you know, just the the, the, the answers that we're looking for are there in the Bible. So we're gonna look at two examples. Uh, We'll go through them relatively quickly because you can review this and check it out for yourself. Um, But our our title here is, you know, the answers in the Bible are they're found near and far. So sometimes you just got to keep reading just a few more verses. So um, here's an example in Matthew 13. And this might be good to to have your Bibles open to. Uh, We're going to come back to Matthew 13 in our next section as well. Uh, But in Matthew uh, chapter 13, Jesus tells the, the famous parable of the sower or as some of your uh, Bibles, like mine here, says the parable of the soils. That was really the key. There was, there was one sower and there was one seed, but it fell in four different places. So he tells the parable. And you can, you know, the little graphic there, there's a guy and they're out there and he's throwing the seeds on this side and that side as he walked down the furrows, throwing some here and throwing some there. And he's saying, well, while he was throwing the seed, some fell on the wayside or on the footpath, right at his feet. And the birds came and ate it all up some fell where there was some stones and um there wasn't much depth of soil but they immediately sprang up um but then the sun came and scorched them because they didn't really have any deep root there was there was nowhere for it to go uh some fell among the thorns it grew fine it grew big and it but the thorns were growing along the side of it and eventually the thorns won out and choked them choked the the good plants so they didn't bring forth any fruit and then he says, some fell on good ground, and and that one seed that was sown could produce a hundred seeds, or sixty, or thirty. It, there was a and a multitude of 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 growth and fruit produced from that one single seed that was sown. We might think, wow, parable. I don't understand what Jesus is trying to get at. You know what's he saying? Um, you know what? And we might just close our our book right there. We get to chapter eight, and we're like, I don't understand that. I'm done. we're encouraging you to just keep reading because in verse 18, just 10 verses later, if we kept reading, we're going to come back to the independent verses in a moment. Uh, He says, here's the parable of the sower. This is what it's all about. There's, it's all about hearing the word of the kingdom. The seed he said is, is God's word. That's the seed. And, and, and uh, I'm the sower. And uh, it's all about what uh, people's response to that seed that's sown. He said there's some that they they um they don't even get a chance to to understand it. And and the wicked one comes and just snatches away what's sown in their heart. They're done, it's over. They 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 heard about the gospel message and like that, it's gone. Um that's those that that hear God's word, but they're like the 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 hard ground, the, the footpath, the well-trodden way, that there was no way the 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 seed could penetrate into the earth to germinate. It says, those who receive seed on stony places, they hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. Like, this is amazing, this gospel message, this hope that we have, it's it's so great. And they, they're they joyful and they're exuberant, but there's no real depth. The, the ground is a bit rocky. They didn't take the time to clear out the rocks and, and get some good, you know, fertilized topsoil and depth of, of, of earth. Um, so for a while, All's going well. The, the, the plant is growing up quite quickly. But it says here, when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, then they stumble and they wither, just like that plant withered away when the sun scorched it. Just talking about people and how they respond to the gospel message. So those that received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Everything's going well. It's, it's in a, it seems to be in a good enough soil. It's growing up. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So there's too many other things in their life. These thorns are the cares of the world. So he gives you an exact interpretation. In verse 7, he says, thorns. In verse 22, the thorns are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word. And the plant can't produce fruit. So we in our lives... Uh, you know, the gospel message doesn't go anywhere because we're too cluttered. There's too much else going on in our life. And the, the, the good plant that came from that seed is actually choked. And then the good ground, they hear the word, they understand it and bears fruit. And so what was sown in their heart produces a multitude of fruit. And we think of the, you know, the fruit of the spirit um that talks about in galatians chapter five love joy peace long-suffering patience kindness all those fruits the fruit of the spirit are reproduced in an individual and they share that message and that one message that was sown in their heart they share with another he shares with another and and there's this some hundredfold some 60 some 30 fold uh reproduction of that uh, of that seed as it as it uh produces a fruit which is glory and honor to God so sometimes don't get frustrated by the parable just keep reading and then in this case we now have a bit of a template to understand what Jesus meant in his parables and we can then help to interpret other parables that maybe he isn't so clear on his um, interpretation but sometimes it's not always so near sometimes it's far away we have to look in other books of the Bible, especially when we might be in the old New Testament, we've got to look to the old or vice versa. And um here here's one example. And uh this is this is a great example, I think. Uh, and we'll just we'll just go through it um, relatively uh quickly. Um it's it's the when Jesus is on the cross. And perhaps this has puzzled you. I think this is a great example because um I think a lot of people have read this passage maybe they only have the new testament and and they're reading life of christ maybe they just read the gospels and they come to this passage in matthew 27 uh, verse 46 and about the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice saying eli eli lama sabachthani and so he's he's speaking some some hebrew words so that's a challenge for us because we don't know hebrew at least I, i don't know hebrew that well there's a a few words there that uh That come to my mind i know that the word l in hebrew is god but but matthew interprets for us it says what jesus was saying is my god my god why have you forsaken me now don't get me wrong at one level i can imagine well i can't imagine what it would be like to be crucified but i can i can think about being crucified and jesus being there and, and maybe thinking god had forsaken him like you know is this all come to this now, the trouble with that is we know the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Gethsemane, Jesus had asked for this to be passed, this cup to pass, whether it be some other way. But he resolved himself that God's will would be done. Not my will, said Jesus, but thine be done. So Jesus knew what was coming. Was this just a, a moment of weakness? Was it out of, you know, a bit of frustration? What did he mean when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, we could shut our Bible at that point and come up with, we could brainstorm here for a couple of minutes, and we come up with some pretty crazy ideas as to what that might mean. You know, was this a sin? Did Jesus sin? Well, that doesn't fit because we're told later that Jesus was sinless. He was a lamb without blemish. Um, He was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. So he couldn't have sinned at this last moment. Um, Is it okay for him to be, you know, frustrated in this way and feel forsaken? Well, maybe there's something to that. And we could have an interesting discussion, but it might be just our own ideas. So what we're saying to you, learning to read the Bible effectively is maybe just park this from one. have a little place in your Bible where you can write some questions and say, "What did Jesus mean when he said, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" now we'll we'll learn some little tricks and tips later on, some 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 techniques to to maybe speed up the Bible reading process, but maybe later, Maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm going to read through the Psalms. And you may come across Psalm 22, verse 1. And it reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the words of David. This is the Psalm of David. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And hopefully, this is kind of like that echo. I say, Whoa, I've heard heard that before. Or maybe you read first in Psalms. You were in Psalm 22. If you have your Bible, it would be worth having a finger in Matthew 27. And Psalm 22, maybe you're in, in Psalm 22. I thought, oh, that's that's interesting. David felt forsaken by God, and you know that's maybe understandably. It, it's had hey, some rough times. He was running from Saul and so on. And then later on, you're in in the Gospels, and you're like, whoa, Matthew 27, Jesus Jesus is saying these same things, and here I think unlocks the key. I'm sorry, the key that unlocks this passage when Jesus was saying, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" He's actually quoting from this psalm. He's, he's, he's speaking it from the cross, trying to get the people's attention to the fact that what they're witnessing was foretold in the Old Testament. And the question is, was they were, were they listening? Were they observant? Did they have eyes to see and ears to hear? Now, Jesus may have felt some of these emotions. I think he did, and it wasn't a sin. But more importantly, everything Jesus did was for the benefit of others. Now, just quickly, and again, you can go back and forth between Psalm 22 and the Gospels. Have a look. Once you have this key that unlocks Jesus' words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Psalm 22, look at what you see. I'll just put this whole chart up here. And again, these notes will be available in the slides. Um, so the one we saw, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, in Psalm 22, verse 8, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delights in him. These, these words are exactly there in Matthew 27. You have Matthew 27. You know, they 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 mocked him. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. He trusted in God. These were the exact words, not of Jesus. These were the exact words of the people at the foot of the cross, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and some of the others, even the the, the the soldiers and the and the the thieves are crucified with him, or maybe saying some, some of these things. Well, in Psalm twenty two, verse fourteen, it says that uh, the psalmist felt he was poured out like water. And we can see this is in Matthew, not in Matthew twenty seven. It's in John nineteen that when they uh, the the soldier pierced Jesus' side with his spear, outflowed blood and water. In verse fifteen of Psalm twenty two. The tongue cleaved to his jaws for thirst, and in John 19, Jesus cried out, "I thirst." Again, trying to not draw their attention, uh, he he wanted to drink so he could say his last words. Into thy hands I commend my spirit, and of course, Father, forgive them; they don't know what they do. So he wanted to say those words and be heard. So he he asked for something to quench his thirst. But the fact was, it was predicted there in Psalm 22 that that he would be thirsty. Look at verse 16 of Psalm 22. If you have it open, it says, For dogs have compassed me, and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is Psalm 22. This wasn't just an echo. This should have been like a roaring announcement as they watched this unfold before them. And Jesus gave them the clue by saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's trying to draw their attention back to Psalm 22. Some have suggested that he may have been repeating this entire psalm that the gospel writers record the beginning, but he may have been reciting. Look at verse eighteen: "They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture." Was Jesus speaking those words as it was uh, was being fulfilled, unfolding right before his very eyes? And again, this wasn't him forcing this fulfillment. He couldn't; he had no control over what the soldiers did or what the other people said, and yet they were themselves quoting this psalm unbeknownstly unbeknownst um, or acting it out without knowing what they're doing they just do what soldiers always did they gambled away with the clothing and anything that was of value and when it came to his special robe that was was so important and so valuable they didn't rip it up they gambled for it the rest they just tore into pieces and distributed amongst themselves this was all there in the psalm but perhaps the most interesting thing for us is that clearly the psalm ends with, with hope. That, that uh, this individual, David, had these feelings, and the Messiah had these feelings, the Lord Jesus Christ. that I, I It says at the end of the psalm, I will declare thy name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. Um, you have not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. It's not as though God didn't know what was going on. You know, He, he made it go dark. So that perhaps um, covering for some of the time period there, the the wickedness that was going on, it was it was too bad for even people to see. It says you didn't you didn't hide your face from me. There, at no time did did God turn away from His Son. He was there with Him all along and in feeling the agony of His Son. It says when He cried to Him, He heard. So when Messiah the afflicted one cried, God heard. And then the assurance that he will pay his vows. He's going to go through with this. Thy will be done, not mine, says the Messiah, said the Lord Jesus Christ to God. For the kingdom is the Lord's. He is the governor among the nations. And so the psalm ends very hopeful. You know, it was the, it was in some, say, in some senses the darkest day on earth, Christ's crucifixion, but it was also the most glorious because it's what brought salvation. So just a quick summary then, when you're reading the Bible, don't, uh, sorry, we'll do with the dues first of all. Do look first to the Bible for answers to questions. There will be other ways. We'll talk about other things you can do if you really get stuck, other um, um, helps and things that can aid us in our reading. But we look to the Bible first for answers. Sometimes we have to read the entire Bible. You know, don't just stick in the New Testament. Don't just stick in the Gospels. Read it from cover to cover. And we'll talk about a, a plan that we have. It's, it's actually there in the, the folder. Um, but we'll talk about that in one of the upcoming seminars as well uh sometimes you gotta write down your your questions just park them in the parking lot right we don't know the answer to that yet uh but we'll keep listening to those echoes we'll keep referring back to them and maybe at some point it might be in the same chapter it might be in a completely different section of scripture um separated by many books and and hundreds of years in the case of psalms to uh to the crucifixion a thousand years had transpired and of course pray for guidance and we'll talk about that later but the the God will be honored when you ask him for help to to read his word. So don't expect quick quick answers. And certainly don't look at isolated passages and draw conclusions. You can imagine some of the crazy things we might have come up with if we just thought we only looked at my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me in context of Jesus on the cross? But when we see Psalm 22, we see the big picture. We see that it's fulfilling prophecy. Then all these things um, fit together nicely. So there's some quick do's and don'ts of Bible reading. And this is really the, the heart of our of our uh, seminar series, learning to read the Bible effectively. And we're just getting started. So we'll finish this first week with looking at this uh, last section here. Um, why is the Bible difficult to read? And I've got here section three. That'll be in reference to the workbook that's available. We'll make a week one available um, right away. Uh, and then over the succeeding weeks, as we go through this series, uh, we'll we'll release um, the other workbook sections. But that's what they're referring to, um, Section 3, Why the Bible is Difficult to Read. Now, this will be pretty profound, but the main reason the Bible is difficult to read is because it's difficult to read. Uh, and that's why you found it that way. Now, this could... Uh, be, uh, you know, we talked about that frustration earlier. This might be the end for people, well, it's hard. I don't want to do it. Well, you know, that's not the case. We know that from our own experience. Um, I don't know about you. Maybe you have a, some sort of puzzle or thing you do that the big thing right now is Wordle. It's been going for a while, but I know I have family members and friends who, uh, you know, get frustrated sometimes when they're doing that Wordle, especially when you got like three letters the same and the other two letters could be all kinds of words. And it takes you four guesses and sometimes you run out of guesses. And, you know, you were thinking about the next one and it can be frustrating, but we do it, you know, crossword puzzles, jigsaw puzzles. Um, I'm a math guy. So Sudoku's are great. I love them. And, and the, the, the difficulty, the frustration can be a positive motivator to keep going and, and to try it. If it was too easy, who would do it? So think of it that way. Don't get frustrated. There's this passage in in Proverbs 25 says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. So, yes, some things are hidden and concealed in Scripture, but it says it's the honor of kings to search out a man, a matter. So God has hidden things, treasures, wonderful treasures in his word. You know, maybe you've seen that a little bit already tonight with, uh, you know, whose image and, and inscription is on the coin. Maybe that was something like, wow, that's a really cool little gem or the my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I never understood that. And now maybe the connection to Psalms with has helped you. This is what we want to do with all of God's word. And of course, ultimately, um, you know, what, how's that relate to us in our life, right? We want to be that good. We want to be that seed that's on the good ground that brings forth fruit to God, um, there needs to be a practical application, so we search out a mat- matter. It's a, it's a, it's the glory of kings to do so, and and we hope to be kings and priests reigning on this earth. Earth when Jesus returns and, and the earth is filled with God's glory, we want to participate in that glory, uh, that glorious time to come, and the giving of the glory and honor to God. So, if you find the Bible difficult to read, you're not alone. Uh, we we've all had that experience. I I get that even after you know 40 years of, of doing this uh it still can be frustrating at times and there's still passion, I'm like oh what's what's that even mean when we'll, we'll we'll get some techniques maybe different translations looking up meanings of words sharing ideas with others we'll go through all of that but at the beginning just kind of settle it in your mind that yeah there might be some challenges along the way and that's part of the fun don't get frustrated uh take it as a challenge and an encouragement to to keep digging to keep looking So back to Matthew 13, We said we were going to quickly spend some time there. We looked at the parable of the sower. So, you know, why did Jesus speak in parable? Well, the good news is the disciples asked the same question. (laughs) They were just as confused. Like, Lord, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, quoting the Old Testament, interestingly enough. But he says, look, really, there's a separation process going on here. The reason I use parables is because it's given to you, he says, to his disciples, this is Matthew thirteen verse eleven. It's given to you, my disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, you know, those that were asking tricky questions or wanting to be to, to catch him in his words or wanted to be, um, you know, undermine his teaching. Well, to them, they're not going to get it. It's going to go in one ear and out the other. It's going to go over their head. Whatever analogy you want. That's why he spoke in parables. And in some ways, the entire scripture is kind of like a big parable. For whoever has to him will be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parable, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So there's some real challenges there for us. We want to be of those of his disciples that that see and really do see, that hear and really do hear, you know, and, and, and really understand the message. And he says, "Really, it's it's been always this way," says Jesus. And he quotes from Isaiah: "Hearing you will hear, and not understand." He's quoting from Isaiah. Um, the the people's heart has grown has grown dull. The hard of hearing, and their eyes they've closed. And maybe you know people like this that oh, as soon as that any kind of topic about the Bible comes up, they just you can see that they just, they just turn away, or their eyes glaze over. You know, they close their ears, close their eyes metaphorically, and it's it's tragic. Um, because in this book we'll see are the words of life. But here's for us. the blessed, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And that's really the purpose of this seminar, to help us have open eyes and open ears and open minds to receive the message of Scripture. So how do we gain understanding then? Well, we need to apply time and energy. <clears throat> it doesn't matter... Your social status your financial situation um the the scriptures clearly say here from matthew sorry from isaiah 55 that anyone can come come to the waters if you're thirsty if you want to know the truth and you're thirsty for it come to the waters come to the source you don't have, to have money um you can you can help yourself to the the metaphorical here the wine and the milk uh, of god's word why are you going after things that 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 don't really satisfy you know, you think of our society and all the things people spend their time and money on that that are temporary. They're not lasting. Uh, But God says here, listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in the abundance. Incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. And it it takes time. Uh, It's not going to be done. You know, we live in an instant world, you know, insta this and insta that. Um, Scripture won't work that way. Now, hopefully you can see a little bit even tonight, uh, today in our in our first session here, that, that, okay, maybe you can start to see how this would work, but it's going to take time. God never revealed anything all at once. It's always, uh, and has always taught a sure, slow, effective method of achieving a task. And even, even in his own purpose, it was 4,000 years of history before he sent his son into the world. So here in Hebrews 1, God at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. It was a sol- long, slow process. He spoke through the lives of of men you know men like joseph and, and david and daniel uh, women like rahab and esther uh rachel and and sarah and rebecca um but finally he spoke to us by his son the word made flesh but it took time and it's still now two thousand years since christ and god's plan is slowly being worked out uh over over that period of time but Please understand that uh, understanding is promised if we seek diligently. We must ask in faith, and this involves prayer. Understanding is assured if we are patient to receive it. Now, it's very, very clear here in James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. If you really you know what Jesus himself said, ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it will be opened. And it may take time, uh, but we need uh, regular uh, contact with God through his word and through prayer. And we read God's word. He speaks to us. We pray, we, we speak to him and, and let his, our petitions be known to him. Uh, this passage here in Romans 10. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You You can't speed read the Bible. If you want to read it effectively, um, and and that's our last our last slide uh, for this first session. So hopefully that's given you a little bit of uh, insight into uh, what we hope to do in this series. Um, once again, I, I thank you for uh, for joining us. Uh, the the notes um, and these slides, and remember there is some homework. Uh, the homework will be this idea of looking for echoes. Uh, as we look at uh, some some new testament quotes about abraham and we're like oh, I just I don't know about abraham and we'll we'll think back to the old testament uh where we learn about abraham and make those connections through echoes so that's available um reach out if you have any questions um you can uh, you can email me at chris and mart @yahoo.ca if you want to uh, get uh access to these notes i can share you a link where they'll all be available so that's Chris and Mart, C H R I S A N D M A R T, Chris and Mart at yahoo.ca. Um, if you're watching this on my uh, YouTube channel, the, the links will be there as, as well to all the notes. So uh, so glad you uh, joined, joined us for this first session, and I hope you will join us for uh, week two of learn, learning to read the Bible effectively. Uh, thanks for sharing. I pray for God's blessing upon you. Seek him in prayer, and he will lead you.